Praise the Lord. We thank God. Shall we pray together? Our Father, we thank you tonight. We are grateful for the privilege to fellowship together in your presence. Thank you for your mercy that is stretched towards us. Thank you for your love to see us victorious, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We thank you for what Jesus did at Calvary several years ago. Our prayer is that we will walk into the reality of it in the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes, that we will see Jesus. Thank you. Please speak and grant us grace, grace to walk in the light of the truth. Say, we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. Lord, we ask, O God, that the entrance of your word will bring light. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have prayed. Amen. We thank God uh, for this privilege and for the leadership to invite me to again come and have fellowship with us as we prepare our hearts towards our communion on Sunday. The topic I've been asked to speak upon is how to put my flesh to death. How to put my flesh to death. We'll be having a two-part series. I'll start tonight. Tonight I will be talking about the necessity or maybe I will talk about the necessity of putting the flesh to death tomorrow. Let me tonight talk about the the, the uselessness of the flesh. God vexed it on the flesh. Why the flesh must die. And if God gives us an understanding of why you don't need to keep your flesh and you need to arise to do something about it, by God's grace we will be entering into tomorrow of the how. How do I put my flesh to death? So today, maybe I'll be dealing with the matter of what. What is the flesh? And why must I let it go? What is the flesh? And why must I put it to death? We will pick our anchor scriptures from Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 and Romans chapter 8 verse 13 to begin with as we study the word of God together. I will beg us to be turning to the Bible with me either on the screen or your physical Bible. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth fornication uncleanness passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry or adversity for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience Uh, other translations, the amplifier says, So, kill, deaden, deprive of power the evil desire lurking in your members, those animal impulses, and all that is earthly in you that is employed in sin, sexual vice, impurity, sensual appetites, unholy desires, and all greed and covetousness. For that is idolatry, the deifying of self and other created things instead of God. 
It is on account of these very sins that the holy anger of God is ever coming upon the sons of disobedience. Those who are obstinately opposed to the divine will. Romans chapter 8 verse 13 uh, will be the counterpart passage I would like us to read uh, to begin our discussion. In Romans 8, we will come back to study Romans 8 uh, properly, but let me pick this verse 13 to begin. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are habitually put into death, making extinct, deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body, you shall really and genuinely live forever. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So with these two passages, as the Holy Spirit was writing to the church in Rome and in Colossae, through the instrumentality of the Apostle Paul, he brought this injunction and this admonition to the believers. These are Christians. It's written to people of God like you in the church who are worshipping God and relating with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as our daddy was saying, Christ has done something for us for which we need to walk into its fullness. We need God to open the eyes of understanding to know the extent and the scope of the atonement on the cross of Calvary that Jesus went to suffer for. For lack of knowledge, it will make many, many of us to struggle in the Christian journey and eventually miss out. When we shall know the truth, and the truth itself is Jesus Christ and what he had accomplished for us, there shall be liberty because the truth set free. So I have realized that many times, according to the word of God, is lack of the knowledge of the truth is what makes us to live a beggarly Christian life. Today I was very happy, very excited. Sometimes in the afternoon, I had a call from a former student that I have not seen for like six, seven years. When she called, because I have stored her number, so as soon as she called, I saw the person. So she started talking. And said, is that Dr. Aka? She, because at the time she knew me, I was a Dr. Aka. She doesn't even know that I'm a professor now. So is that Dr. Aka? I said, yes. So she was excited. I can't tell you how I'm excited to get you on the phone. I could see she was excited. She was very happy. And I don't know why. On the other side of the phone. So like five minutes, she was just thanking God. Oh, my God. Oh, God. And I said, what is, what is the matter? She said, I hope you remember me. Then she mentioned it and I said, of course, I remember you. Then she said, I want you to know that the seed you sowed, it has worked. So I was okay. So I remember her very much because I had unnumbered discussions with this lady in my office. Hours upon hours. I gave her to my wife. My wife had time over time with her. She said, where is Mama Joanna? I said, she's there. He said, anytime I watch Manzion and I see that woman, uh, the woman of, um, <laughs> uh, I forgot the name, that woman, I just remember Mama Joanna. <laughs> She's just like her. Tell her, I've been trying to call her, but I'm not getting her. The seed she sowed, it had worked. You remember that I used to be very skeptical. This lady was in the Assemblies of God Church on campus. 
but she never believed anything that Jesus did on the cross. She would begin to doubt the existence of Christ, the whole Bible, and whether Jesus died and whether she can be free from sin. And she was struggling with issues, addictions upon addictions. And we were trying to, to preach to her to, to understand the atonement that Jesus did and that she can be free. And she never believed. There was no faith. And without faith, there's nothing we can do. We just kept praying and kept teaching. And we thought faith came by hearing, by hearing, by the word of God. So we were praying, we were talking. But for the three years I knew her on campus, she never encountered the truth. And she left. So she now said that God took her through many afflictions and challenges only to bring her in 2019 to a real encounter with Jesus that settled everything for her. That the flesh is dead. She's gone. She's now able to live a holy Christian life. All the things that since teenage she thought she would die with them. She thought she would be in those addictions till death. She never believed that a man can be free. She now realized that they are all gone. <laughs> the things I used to do, I do them. I'm so happy. I'll be looking for opportunity to give you a testimony. And I say, we thank God. We give glory to God. I know that God is able to do abundantly, exceedingly beyond what we can imagine. But we need to know it's not by strength, not by power, it's not by might, but by His Spirit, what He did already 2,000 years ago at Calvary. So if we now have this topic before us that Paul is writing to a church. It's not talking about unbelievers. It's not talking about Muslims. It's not talking about idol worshippers. To the church in Colossae, to the church in Rome, and he said there's something you need to do. Despite our, that Jesus has done, there is something that is an internal foe, is an internal enemy. You cannot make progress unless that matter is dealt with. No matter how sincere, how zealous, despite all your prayer and fasting, if you don't come to the knowledge of this truth and you are not victorious at here, you can never be victorious anywhere. So he now told the church in Colossae, the way he put it, is that you must put to death. You must, at that transition, mortify, kill the, your members which are upon the earth, the way the King James put it. Put to death the earthly human nature, the flesh that is your enemy that will not allow you to succeed. In fact, the way the Colossians put it, if you are not careful, uh, you would think that it's dealing with fornication and uncleanness and inordinate affection and evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. These are the things that the flesh produces. So many times, I think that was a challenge that I had when I was a young Christian. And that's a challenge that many people had. And that's a challenge that this lady had. Because when we wanted her to see Christ and what Jesus did for him, her, she was looking at her problems and how to deal with them one by one. When you have the issue of a tree that is producing wrong fruit, the easiest way to deal with it is to be dealing with the fruit that is evil, which you don't like. And you leave the tree still standing. And as long as the tree stands, what will happen every season? It will bear fruit. So sometimes, we fast, we pray, and we are dealing with, we don't like this alcoholism. I don't like this hot anger that is scattering my marriage. I don't like this lust. I don't like this love of money, this lying. I don't like this immoral life. And you will be dealing with those numbering them one by one, covetousness, fornication, masturbation, pornography, 
and all of those things are good to pray about. But it's not the flesh. They are just the products of the flesh. And what God wants us to deal with is to put the axe where? At the root of the tree. And what? And to uproot it. And once the tree is gone, it goes with what? With the fruit. It will never bear fruit again because the tree is uprooted. So I would like us to cast our mind back to where all this issue of the flesh began. Because tonight, we just want to examine what is the flesh and why is it useless and is not beneficial to keep it in your bosom. It will not do you any good to keep still living in the flesh, even in the church. That's what the people were doing in Colossae. They will come to church, they will come to Bible study, but they were full of the flesh. That's what they were doing in Rome. They come to church, but they were still full of the flesh. And Jesus had already died. Calvary was finished. He's risen and resurrected and got to heaven. But these believers that are supposed to be free to walk in the spirit, they were still struggling under the dominion, the control of the flesh. And I remember that if you go back to Genesis, there will not be much time to, to study the book of Genesis all the way through. But let me just take Genesis chapter 6 as an illustration, if that will help us to get an understanding. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, uh, or let me even start with verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil once in a month, when continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and he grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repented me that I have made him. But if you if I went back to verse, maybe I should have started from verse 1. You know that what had happened here was what we call the fall of man. In the beginning when God made man, he made man not in the flesh. Again, let me define the flesh because sometimes it's very confusing. It was confusing to me. When we talk about flesh in the common English parlance, in the dictionary, the flesh is like the flesh of goat, uh, meat <laughs> that we eat, isn't it? Uh, or it's like the body. So that is one definition. But that's not what we are dealing with here. The body is good, and we need the body to serve God. We need the body to carry the Holy Spirit. But the flesh, again, the New Testament definition of flesh and another definition of the flesh, which we want to deal with here, is the flesh as a principle, as a nature, as a personality that we carry about. That's what we are interested in now. We are not interested in going to kill your body. Nobody should go here and commit suicide. <laughs> because it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, what? The judgment. If you go and kill yourself, you will face judgment and you will still go to hell. <laughs> so we are not interested in punishment of the body or being cruel to the physical body which God has given us. That's not what we are dealing with. When God made man, he made them in his own image and likeness. So man, in the beginning, Adam, he was not the flesh that we are talking about. 
even though he carried a human body made of dust, and God breathed into him, and he became a living soul. And God looked at him, and he was good. And all the things God made, he was what? They were good, and he was satisfied with them. He did not repent God. God never created man and said, I repent for creating man, when man has not fallen. He said, it's God, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply yourself. You are good. Increase. Cover the whole earth. And man was actually God's servant. And with man, they began to name things and things where everything was in order. So there was no problem with man until when God has said that the day you will eat of that fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will surely die. And that statement was not dealing with what made man man. In the beginning, man was dust when God created him. There was no life. That's the body. And then when God now breathed into him, he became a living soul and he was in the image and likeness of God. That is the first definition they gave us about this man. And all until the fall of man, there was no problem. And there was nowhere God said that I am not happy with man or I repent. It pained me for creating man. But when God said, the day you eat of the tree, you will surely die. That is the beginning of the matter. So the Bible now began to tell us that the serpent, I was reading uh, Revelation chapter 12, it said that old serpent, I don't know why they called him old serpent, because in Genesis he was very old. He was the dragon. He came that deceived man and came to be able to, to let what made man into the image of God and likeness of God to die. So he came to exchange, so to speak, the image of God and replace it with the flesh, which is the nature or the fallen nature or the human nature that can no more please God. I am not trying to give you a history. That's so right from the day because God has said the day, and some say a day in God's eyes is what? Is a thousand years, isn't it? But you know there's a difference between a day and the day. What's the difference? What's the difference between a day and the day? This English class now. The day is what? Is specific. And a day is what? any day. So when you say a day in God's eyes is what? Like a thousand years. That's any day looks like a thousand years to God. But when God say the day, it's not talking about a day. Isn't it? So you say the day. The, your, your birthday cannot be a day, isn't it? It's the day. It's specific. The day you will eat this, you shall surely die. Which means that if that is what God meant, that means that the day Adam and Eve ate the tree of the fruit of the tree, what should have happened? They should have surely died. And if the death God was talking about was physical death, it means that the body should fall down and they should carry them to the cemetery and bury them. So since they continue to walk, it means that God was not even talking about physical death. It's not the death of the body that God was talking about. But the image of God, the exact likeness of God that God placed in the man was extinguished. It was quenched by sin because the wages of sin is death. Sin kills faster than anything else spiritually. If they did not die, then the wages of sin cannot be, be dead, isn't it? The wages of sin is dead. Anytime a man sins, he dies 
spiritually. And he's not talking about he's going to die uh, uh, a thousand years to come. No. The wages of sin is what? Is death. That is it. So, as Adam and Eve ate, they died. What was the image of God finished? But the devil carries an image himself. The enemy, Satan, also has an image. So, you read in the Bible, the Bible calls the children of the devil, the children of Satan, children of disobedience. He also children of darkness. Several ways of describing them. The devil has children. How did you produce those children? These are children, human beings, created by God. The devil never created a human being. Human beings that are created by God, born of a woman, that the devil also passes onto them, what? His own image. So that they can live in disobedience and live in sin. So the enemy, Satan, brought an exchange as he was conversing with them and asking them to eat and they ate. The image of God died and the image of Satan entered and that is the flesh. So when the Bible now begins to talk about the flesh or the fallen nature or the human nature or the sinful nature, several ways in which the New Testament talks about the Adamic nature, there are several ways, maybe five, six, seven, ten ways, depending on your translation. It's talking about the nature that we picked up right from the day of the fall of man. That is not the original nature. And that nature needs to die. If any man continues to carry that nature till he dies physically, it's unfortunate for him because what? He's, he's missed the mark. So, as we now saw in Genesis chapter 6, by this time, we saw that right from the beginning, if you have time to now look at the conversation between God and Adam and Eve after they had eaten of the tree, you will be surprised that something changed significantly, very dramatic. This Adam and Eve that God created in his own image, that the Bible says God used to come to them in the cool of the day, and they were having communion, and there was fellowship, and there was peace, and there was joy and contentment. In the presence of God, there is joy. Pleasures evermore. Fellowship was going on. There was no problem. But right from the day they, they fell, God came. And as God was coming down, what was the first thing they began to do? To run away. To hide. The first manifestation of the flesh is what? Is what? Hiding. The first thing the flesh began to do, the fallen nature, is to run away from God. Secrecy. Deception. Hiding. Cover up. He could no more endure the glorious presence of God. He could no more enjoy light. He likes to enjoy darkness. He likes to do things in the secret. He likes to hide. Nobody should see what he's doing online. Nobody should see his phone. He locked it with five different passwords. Even the wife must not be able to enter the phone. Anytime a man is hiding, living and has something and a reason to hide, not to be transparent, even to hide from his wife, from his husband, that you cannot enter the mind's construction of a man. You don't know what he's thinking. That is a clear manifestation of the life of the flesh. Why is he hiding? He has not been hiding before. He has been talking with God. He's the one that was saying, we call this crocodile, we call this animal, we call this tilapia. Why is he hiding? So you see the manifestation of the flesh. God said, Adam, where are you? I heard your voice and I was naked and all of that and what? And I hid myself. 
My brother and my sister, I don't know what you are hiding. I don't know what you are hiding in your certificate, what you are hiding, your record. I don't know what you are hiding in your history and your background. Anytime there is reason to hide the real identity of who you are, you have a reason to cry to God because you are under the influence of the power of the flesh. If you cannot open up to your wife, to your own wife, to your own husband, say, Who, this, this, this me, I did it, and I'm sorry, forgive me, and you have reason to dodge. If you pick a phone call here, you have reason to, <laughs> yes, yes, sir. I suspect you. Because what are you hiding? Why are you in the bedroom and you are now going to washroom as if you want to go and wee-wee and just to pick a call? And why are you deleting it? What gives you the reason to delete your message that somebody sent you because you don't want anybody to see? That is the beginning of the manifestation of the flesh. He likes to cover up. He likes to, to hide. He likes to have an outward hypocritical image outside which is different from the reality of who he is or who she is inside. It is the same thing that makes people to sometimes fake documents. It's the same thing. It's the same thing that makes people to look, appear to look younger than they really are their age. It's the same matter. Why are you trying to, to appear as if you are 25 when you know you are 50? You may think it doesn't matter, but it's the same flesh. You don't know how many people have been deceived into marriage. When they thought they were marrying some young people only to go on honeymoon and they were shocked. The world may have a different name for it. You may call it fashion. You may call it all of that. But I don't know how you call it. It's the same principle of hypocrisy. Hiding reality. It's a false presentation to the outside world that I am like this. And I'm not actually like that. I pray God will give you understanding. I'm not, I don't have any problem with the, uh, looking good and beautiful. But what is the motive in your heart? What is making you to, to do what you are doing? To spend so much money? To look so different from who you really are? What is the meaning? You need to question it yourself. You yourself have to ask God, why am I like this? Why am I pretending? I was surprised in my campus, in the university, sometime some, a year or two ago, a lady came to my office for advice, academic advice, and I gave her some advice. When she went back to her office, as a PhD student, I felt that there was additional information I needed to have given her. So I took it upon myself, instead of to, me to call her to come, I decided to go to her office and give her that additional information. I didn't know that when she went back to the office, since she's now in her own office, she relaxed. And as I knock, me too, I did not wait for coming home. I just opened the door. She quickly grabbed the wig and put it on her head. So I said, I'm, I'm very sorry. Sorry for, is there anything? Say said, no, 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 sir. No, no. So, what I thought was the real hair was actually a human, was, was some artificial, this, and he didn't want me to know. My problem was not that she's wearing wig. Why she was so disturbed that I came to see the natural hair, he was, I was also surprised. I spoiled her day that day, and I was very sorry for that. Because I thought I was just going to see my student. Not doing that, she came to my office 20 minutes ago with a different appearance. 
And when she went to the office, she came to a real self. And she never wanted her professor to see who she really is. It's the same manifestation of the flesh. When God now asks them, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I warned you not to eat it? What should have been the answer? Yes. And if you are actually polite, because the flesh is also not polite. Another manifestation of the flesh is that it is not polite. Very rude. Arrogant. Jude talked about it in Jude. Such people in the flesh, they don't even respect authority. They disdain. They speak against even angels. They don't care who you are. Whether he's a president or not, you will hear JHS people, SHS people, insulting the president as if he's their classmate. It's the same flesh. So, you expect them, if it's my son, and he did something wrong and I confronted him, you would say, please, sir, I, I'm sorry, I did it. We ate it. We don't even know what came over us. Please forgive us. No. Adam said, the woman. I ate it, but it's not me. Don't blame me. If you want to blame somebody, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave it to me and had no option than to eat. This is another manifestation of the flesh. Blame game. Refusal to acknowledge when he has done something wrong. Anytime you have a reason to argue, to refuse to admit your fault, to try to look for somebody to push the blame on, it is a manifestation of the flesh. You did something wrong, whether intentionally or by mistake. You have a reason to look for somebody else to blame. You cannot acknowledge your sin and say, I did it. I don't even know why I did it. I need help. Please forgive me. This flesh doesn't like it. So there can be couples in the house. The woman will do something wrong. The husband will try to point it to her. And instead of her to say, honey, sorry, please. I'm very sorry, forgive me. No. She will find a reason to say, that's what you also did last week. Do you remember last week? You also did the same thing. You like to blame people. We are all not perfect. We are working in progress. What is the meaning of that? Why are you shouting upon somebody? Are you a saint? Haven't you sinned before? Leave me alone. So, he's looking for something to justify why she's misbehaving. Anytime that you see this flesh looking for opportunity to escape punishment, escape being caught, and trying to find somebody else, sometimes you blame their children. If you were late in cooking, your husband can say the children were, they were, their homework was too much. So there's always some reason why you are not doing what you are supposed to do. You are late for work is a traffic. You did something in church is because somebody, anytime somebody has done something, apart from you, it's always somebody who is the cause of your problem. That is the second way we saw this flesh manifesting. It is the woman. And when God now asks the woman, why did you do what you did? What did she also say? It's the serpent. It's not my fault. You told us not to eat. We're ready not to eat. We don't know how you allowed the serpent to come here. And as if the serpent was forcing them, it's a serpent that, that is the cause. If you want to blame somebody, go and face the serpent. So you see that these two, this couple, throughout the discussion, God had with them, to the extent that even God was now placing judgment on them. None of them confess. None of them acknowledge his sin. None of them ask for mercy. There was nobody that was saying, I'm sorry. And again, that is the way we saw the flesh manifesting. And as he continued and continue, we now saw that the manifestation was increasing. To the extent that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 5, the Bible was now beginning to introduce the generations of Adam. 
And it was very curious that the Bible now said in Genesis chapter 5 that this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day, and again, I'm surprised that the Bible says in the day. If it was not necessary, the Bible should not say in the day. I was expecting the Bible should have just said that, no, this is the generations of Adam. God created man in his likeness and what? The likeness of God in. Would that have meant the same thing? What do you think? Uh, let's do English. What do you think in the day that means? What, what is the meaning of that? Huh? If this is comprehension, and we write, you read this uh, comprehension, say so what? Explain to us the significance of in the day. Huh? He's talking about what? A particular day. It was so in that day. It may not be so today. That in the day when God created Adam or created man, in the likeness of God made he him. In the day. As for today, we cannot tell. Are you understanding what the Bible is saying? When we created man in the beginning, in that day, there was the way we created him. As at Genesis chapter 5, that man is not in that condition anymore. Something has changed between the creation and here. Am I making an allusion or something that cannot be born? That's how I understand. It's very analytical. You need to understand. And when you continue, you will see that it begins to tell us that, no, male and female created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. He brought again in the day. In the day. And he blessed them. And Adam lived 130 years. In the course of time, Adam lived 130 years. Many things happened, which was not according to the day that we created them. And he said, this Adam begat a son in whose image? After his own likeness. What is the meaning of that? Why is that emphasis? Why is the Bible telling us that Adam begat children, eh? and the children he begat, they were in his own image. What kind of image was Adam carrying? We were told in the beginning that in the day, they were in the image of God. So if they were in the image of God, then if Adam gave birth, we should already conclude that the children are also what? In the image of God. Why is now the Bible telling us that Adam also has an image? Apart from our image that we gave him in the beginning, now by the time he was giving birth, he carried his own image. Where did he get it from? So the Bible has already given us that something, corruption has taken place in the course of time of Adam, that he began to produce children, and the children took after his own image and likeness, which was the likeness and the image of the flesh, the fallen nature, the human nature. And that continue and continue like that. And until you will now see that as this manifestation continue, the children of Adam began to exhibit wickedness. And you now saw that Cain murdered his brother what? Abel. Out of jealousy. Out of envy. Because his brother outshined him. Again, we see another manifestation of the flesh. Envy. Jealousy. Whether in the choir or in the pastoral team, whether in the home or in the office or in school. Anytime there's a reason to be jealous of a sister or a brother, envious. I don't know why that happened. I was dealing with one sister the last time. She's envious and jealous of her own younger sister. She can't stand it that her sister is married and doing well. And she who is a senior sister, she's not making progress. So she tells me that she, she's jealous. She wished her dead. <laughs> You're a witch. This is a serious spiritual condition that Cain 
could not see that Abel was accepted. And the only solution is to finish him, is to kill him. So the Bible says, let no one be like Cain. He murdered his brother. And that's the reason why we are seeing jealousy and envy causing many, many problems. And people are doing physical murder and uh, artificial intelligence murder, all sorts of murder. Anything that you do to make sure that somebody will not progress, whether it's by gossiping or by slandering or by making sure that he loses his job so that you can get it, it's all murder. It's artificial intelligence. Whatever you do to make sure that somebody does not shine so that you can now take out the place, pull that person down, you are murdering the person. As all that thing continue, it continued until we now saw even the issue of polygamy. By the time you are getting to Genesis chapter 6, we saw one man called Lamech that went and married two wives. And you may think, why? Adam, God created Adam and Eve, one man, one wife. Why did somebody think that he alone needs to what? To marry what? Two wives. And as you continue, we now saw about Sodom and Gomorrah. A whole group of people, they decided that they, they don't even like what God has created for sexuality and sexual satisfaction. That men will have so much loss for male to have homosexuality, female, and that thing was going on. So today they call it another name, and we, the whole world is confused about it. It is the same flesh. As far as I'm concerned, every manifestation of LGBTQ is the work of the flesh. The New Testament, Romans, talks about it. It's the flesh that produces those things because they will not acknowledge God. So as that continued, God went and destroyed that whole town. And that thing continued until the days where even angels in heaven also lost, they also left their abode to come down to pick some beautiful girls. When you begin to see angels are sleeping with human beings, that sees you, tells you the corruption that was going on. And now God now decided that let us wipe off the whole human race. Let's cleanse the earth with the flood. And that's when we now came to Genesis chapter 6. When you come to Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says, and it, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit, look at verse 3, will not always strive with man. For what? He also is what? His flesh. This flesh is the beginning of the word flesh, the introduction of flesh. And God is not talking about the fact that man is, is a body. God is beginning to point to the matter of the flesh right in Genesis. Because we know that in the day where God created man, he made him dust and he breathed into him and the man became a living soul. Now God said that my spirit will no more struggle with man. I've struggled with them for too, much, too long. I'm trying to get them to do the right thing they are not doing. The imaginations of their thoughts of their heart is continual evil. Every day they are, they are coming with new ideas to sin. They are doing new things. And that's the problem we have in this world now. People are looking for ways to destroy things. All this technology, artificial intelligence here and there. If you look at the discussion going on, you see that we are, all, we are all doomed if God will not have mercy upon us. They are looking at how to destroy. Their imagination is evil continually. And God now said that, I can't struggle with them anymore. Because the man is what? Is flesh. What is flesh? This man is fallen. This man now is carrying a nature that cannot be corrected. The only solution is what? Is death. We need to wipe him off. So that's the introduction. A little introduction to history. Why the flesh must be put to death? Because God himself concluded that what? That man is flesh. And I don't need to continue to struggle with him. I need to what? To put him to death. He must die. And as God wiped off that generation, as if he found a seed 
of eight people, Noah and his family, that was going to be propagating a new, a new generation of righteous people, we saw that it was not to be. Even Noah himself went and got drunk, and his children began to misbehave with him, and all of that. So God continued all the way. Man continued to sin because the flesh was still constant until Jesus Christ had to come to go to the cross, which by God's grace tomorrow we may not need to look at. How do we put to death the flesh? But as we try to conclude for tonight, if we come back to the New Testament, we will read a graphic passage and then we can close for tonight. In Romans chapter 7, Paul was now beginning to give us an analysis of what this flesh is and why you need to be concerned about it in case you are still living in the flesh. In Romans chapter 7, uh, if you had time to read the whole, but let me just read a few verses. In, let me start from verse maybe let's, let's start from verse 7. Let's just read until I, I will. So what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but the law. For I had not known last, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin is dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and died, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be dead unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. I want you to see this conclusion of Paul. Because sometimes you may think that God's laws are too strict, too demanding. How can you be free from sin? How can you live one month, one year without sinning? How can you live as a young lady without fornication? You have to wait till you marry. So if you are not married at 45, it means that you should not, you should not try. Do you have to wait till you marry before you can prove your love to your boyfriend? When the boyfriend is demanding, show me your love. On Valentine's Day, at least let me, won't you try a car before you, you buy? Who buys a car without trying? So you see many, many reasons. If you will not fornicate at all, can't you watch pornography? Why is pornography a sin? If you will not fornicate and you masturbate, why would that also be a problem? So you see the reason why the Bible will talk about people who say, can you not drink alcohol? If you just take a glass of wine to eat, why is it a sin? The Bible says we should drink, but we should not get drunk. I don't know where that passage is. So, many, many reasons. Sometimes we think that the law is not good. The law is too strict. The commandments are too burdensome. And if we have our own way, we should throw it away. That's the whole anger that people have against God. We want to be free. Why, God has, why does God want to impose his righteous commandment upon us? And Paul is saying, no, there's no problem with the law. Actually, the law is good. The law is actually supposed to give us life. The law is perfect. The law is holy. The problem is what? Is man. Is the flesh. If God helps you and you put to death the flesh, you will see the holiness of the law. You will love it. It will be like food to you. It will be sweeter than honey. You will enjoy the law of God. It's perfect. What makes it difficult for you to obey any of the law is because of the flesh. So he said, according to Paul now, he says that the law is holy. It is good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me, by which is good. 
and sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Paul is using, again, another word of the flesh is using here is what? Is sin. And he's not talking about sins. There's a difference between sins and sin. We'll talk about sins later on, maybe tomorrow. But here he's dealing with sin, the producer of sins. The flesh, the human nature that is in the body that is taking advantage of this body, holding him a slave and captive to produce sins. So Paul is saying that it is the sin in me that is doing what is doing. And now you look at verse 14 and say, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? Carnal, sold under sin. Another word for the flesh is what? Carnal, carnality. And Paul is saying that this, since the fall of man, the human being has become sold. Sold to the devil. Sold to sin. Under the dominion, as a slave to sin, he cannot set himself free. He needs redemption. That's the reason why redemption has to come in. Atonement has to be paid. A price must be paid by somebody to set him free because he's been sold. He's a slave. So now, he now begins to show in verse 6, he says, If I do that which I will not, Verse 15 says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would not do, but what I hate, that do I. You know what he's talking about. That was my biggest problem. That the things you like to do, you are not able to do. What you don't like to do, you find yourself doing it. If then, verse 16, I do that which I will not I consent unto the law that it is good. Verse 17. Now, then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So, are you seeing how we are going to end tonight? Where is the flesh? The flesh is where? It dwells where? In me. It's in the body. The body is not the flesh. The flesh is in the body. It dwells in me. It's called sin. It's a personality. And is the one that do, does all the things that are not good in me. I'm not the one doing it. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, is now referring to this physical flesh, this body, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good in the fallen man. If you do a surgery and you bring, you open him up, you will see evil and corruption throughout continually, according to Paul's testimony. And he said, for to will is present with me. The desire is with me to do good. I want to please God. I want to be holy. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. I cannot do it. I don't know whether you are relating to this matter. I don't see anybody that truly, truly in sin or disobey God as a Christian, especially as a child of God, living in the church, want to go and drink, want to go and watch pornography, want to go and fornicate, want to go and steal. You don't like what you are doing. But there's something inside you that is holding you captive and cannot make you make progress with your Christian life. Sometimes you deal with the outward manifestation of it and it looks as if you are free for some weeks or sometimes months and then before you realize it happens again and you say, I have fallen. Nobody falls. I understand. Anytime you see the manifestation of that, it means the flesh is present. And as Paul began to conclude in verse 20, say, for the good that I will do, but the evil which I will not, I do. Verse 19, 20. We'll end with verse 24. Now, if I do that which I will not, it is not no more I that do it, but what? Sin that dwelleth in me. You are following the discussion. Very interesting analogy. I find then a law, and we'll deal with this law tomorrow. There's a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. This has become a law. You know what a law means, isn't it? A law that is passed must be obeyed. And Paul is now saying that I have now realized that there's a law, a common law with like the law of gravity. What's the law of gravity? Anything that goes up must what? It must come. That is a law. And to cancel that law, what do you need? You need another law, isn't it? 
we need to pass another law to nullify this law. Otherwise, this law continues to exist. And we'll talk about the other law that has to be passed for this law to be broken. But policy, it has become a law with every fallen nature, every flesh, is that you delight in the law of God. You delight to do good, but you will always do evil. The evil is with you. It's the law that must be obeyed. Verse 21. Oh, verse 22. Okay, let's go to 23, and then we will be taking the last verse. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into what? Captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is the tyranny of the flesh in the body. It keeps you restless because you are always torn between doing good and doing evil. And it's not allowing you to be able to obey God. And that is a law. So, how did Paul conclude, which we will need to conclude tonight, by the mercy of God? He cried, if any man does not come to see the hopelessness and the uselessness of the flesh and the capacity of the flesh to make you to miss your inheritance and your whole eternity in heaven, despite the fact that you have spent many years in church, you will think it's a small matter to handle and you will still be keeping it small, small and you will not deal with it the way the Holy Spirit wants you to deal with it. When the Holy Spirit says, mortify it, put it to death, kill it, it's not asking you to pamper it. Because if you joke with it, you will run in vain, even though you have been a Christian for all the years. And he's talking to church. So he said, oh, wretched man that I am, that situation of the flesh, right from the day that Adam and Eve fell, and that flesh came into existence, he brought man into wretchedness into a sorry state. A Christian that is wretched, who shall deliver me from the body of death? So, it's a matter of deliverance. The only way a man can be free is to be delivered. It's for the flesh to die. There needs to be a separation. It is not the will of God that you continue to walk, you continue to maintain, keep the flesh as a Christian in your life. Paul's understanding is that you must cry tonight. You must beg God that he would deliver you from that flesh, that body that leads to death. If it's not delivered, you are, you are on your way to death, eternal death. And I don't wish anybody to go into that condition. I pray that what happened to that sister will happen to somebody. It doesn't matter how long you have been in, in church. And this sister was a leader and a fervent AGCM member. But she struggled with the flesh. For three years that I knew her, it was struggle upon struggle upon struggle. She nearly left church. She nearly concluded that Christianity is a hoax. It's a deception. Because she cannot be free. But I believe that somebody can be free. God is in the business of deliverance. And Jesus did it. So you say, what wretched man I am. We would like to pray on this tonight. I thought I should give a history of where this flesh is coming from and conclude way, the way Paul concluded in prayer. Crying to him who only can help. No man can help you. I cannot. No pastor, no prophet can deal with the matter of the flesh. Only him who is able to deliver and to save that we need to continuously cry to him. He took that sister, I don't know how many years, but he said, 2019, I encountered the Savior. I saw Jesus, and he took my flesh away, and I'm free. And he's testifying that since 2019, that's when he can truly say, he got born again, she got born again, and I'm happy for her. And I can tell you my own story if there's time, that it was my journey of struggle for years in Christianity. Falling and rising, addiction or addiction, here and there, until I also came to jump this matter of the truth. There must always be a day when somebody has to be free 
and celebrate that. I'd like us to bow our heads for tonight, just asking God. He's on a journey with us to tomorrow, but tonight is clear that the flesh is an enemy of righteousness. The flesh is your number one enemy to, to frustrate your Christian life and to make sure that you trip and you will not be able to run the race as set before you. Will you ask God, say, Lord, search me and try me. If this flesh is still present with me, deal with it. Give me deliverance. Show me the way everlasting. Open my eyes that I will see the man of Calvary. I want to be free. Help me. No matter how it's manifested, in any area of deception, any area of appearance, it is still the same man. It may produce mango. Tomorrow it might produce strawberry. The next day it may produce coconut. No matter the fruit, the tree must be uprooted. I would like us to call our daddy to just pray for us tonight and close for tonight.